You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. This is episode 241 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Hands On Gloves, the all-in-one revolutionary bathing grooming gloves. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer with me, Jen, today. How are you? Hello, Hello. Debbie. (laughs) Uh, I'm glad to have you because you haven't heard these yet. I recorded these. I can't wait to share the interviews with you. Being an independent is that what we call us? Indie podcast lady. We're indie <laughs> indie closet, yeah, people, closet podcasters and stuff. But you know, but I couldn't I couldn't pass up the chance to Will Friday, one of our guests, is a body worker and he's super popular in Southern California. He travels doing clinics in mostly the Masterson method, but he is also a nutritionist. He's got all these, you know, I'll talk about his degrees in the in the bio. But he is a very learned man and very sought after. So it's really fun. We had a clinic here at the farm, and I was so happy that we could pin him down. But he said it sold out and doubled with a wait list on the sellout. So we've got another 12. I think he caps it at 12. And we've got another 12 spots that we know we can fill. So we're going to have these pretty regularly, maybe two or three times a year on the farm. And so I'm, you know, maybe I should get certified. And so I know what I'm talking about here, but (laughs) (laughs) he is. So the the clinics that you have there, are they, are they clinics where the people who are going to the clinic are able to put their hands on some horses and do some things? Absolutely. They do oh, all weekend long. Yeah, I know. It's very hands-on, very cool. And we brought transition horses out here. Those are the ones that we have for, up for adoption. We brought, um, we had some Mustangs. We had some quarter horses. Plus we had our, um, like one day was like that mix. And then the next day was our our Iberians and illusions, um, a few more, you know, hunter jumper. We we had everything mixed in there because that's twelve people, so everybody gets a horse, and it was it was fun. And then he would he had two assistants as well that are really good too. We just had the best and the brightest, and they would go around, rotate around, demonstrate, then correct, have get back in there. But no, these people were exhausted after three days. We fed them well and everything, but they were they were very hands on. It's and it's really fun to see those horses. You could also tell the horses that had never really had a lot of body work, like, what are they doing? What's all these people standing around staring at me and mushing on my body and all these things? And then the ones that had had this their whole lives, like we have these career Andalusians, you know, that have been in dressage for, you know, 15 years and stuff. They're like, oh, good. Come on over here. Right. Yep. This spot right there. (laughs) (laughs) I know what you're doing. And that's what I like. Yep. That's it. You know, and they're just licking and chewing when they see you coming. It's really cute. (laughs) And uh, yeah. And we have a really great setup. We have these uh, matting stall mats, you know, the the kind that the crumbled rubber with a matting over the top that it's the equivalent of six inches of, of uh, padding. And so they just climb in there and, you know, settle in the hooves, just kind of sink into these things. And they're just happy campers. And it, it's a great, you know, it's a working place that we have for each, each um, 
episode, you know, as they get into different concepts. And uh, there's a there's a lot of very light touch to it, though, and it's really easy to learn. Probably not easy to master, but really easy to learn. So it's a great layman's, you know, do it on your own horses kind of thing. If you take a clinic, I, you know, I don't know what it'd be like to pull it out of a book because I have too many questions. <laughs> yes, yes. I, well, because I, it's so tactile, it's mm-hmm. very, very tactile. So when you take the clinic, you have someone there who you perform the the method and they can watch you as well as the horse's reaction and yes. know whether or not you're about where you need to be as far as where your hands are and what your hands are doing. And it is a very interesting um, method to use. I'm a little bit familiar with the Masterson method. Yeah. And it, it does use a lot of very, very light touch. It, it makes me... It's uh, from my point of view, complete amateur raising my hand right now. Mm-hmm. It's a it's reminiscent of Reiki to me, mm. and, and I it, haven't done enough of that to know. But I yeah, believe because it. you're not doing you're not always doing a lot of deep tissue manipulation. Mm-hmm. Some of the things that you're doing are ever just so. F- they even they even use the egg the egg yolk touch. I it's love ever that. So slight the egg yolk. Yes. touch. I love that one. Yeah. Uh, so if you ever have the opportunity to go out to Flag is Up Farm, for example, to learn about some of this stuff. It is fascinating mm-hmm. uh, to use on your horse. If nothing else, even if you don't say to yourself, oh, my horse has this issue, that issue, or the other issue, it does give you really interesting insight mm-hmm. into your horse's physical being and, and what he's feeling, not feeling. And even if you don't think that you have outward problems or lamenesses, I, I think it does give you insight into your, to your horse. Yeah, I think any athlete could understand it too, because your horse is an athlete. And any athlete who knows that they get regular body work done, it just keeps you tuned too. And you can really feel imbalances in the muscling and just there's so many good concepts. And I'm not going to teach, I'm going to let Will teach today. But there we <laughs> I went, I went, yeah, I want him to explain a little bit about how he evolved through that too, because both our guests, Mimi and Will, are in the horse's health industry. So I coupled these together for you listeners who are interested in keeping your horses as healthy as possible and all the way through the highest performance levels too. Absolutely. And we will get right to our first guest after we hear from our title sponsor, Hands on Gloves. Jay Michelson grew up bathing and grooming horses and dogs. Raised in Texas, he always wondered why his family couldn't find a better way than the old hard-to-hold curry combs or bathing mitts that never fit and the shedding blades that literally ripped the animal's hair right out. Well, fast forward 20 years, and Jay had an idea. Frustrated by the old products still not improving after 20 years, he spent more than four years and several hundred thousand dollars developing hands-on gloves quickly realizing that the reason a quality, comparable grooming product had never been developed, they were really difficult to make right. But he did it. Hands-on reaches far beyond the traditional curry combs, mitts, and shutters out there on the market. Wet or dry, the delicate gloves won't slip or fall off, providing both the groomer and the animal with more thorough and enjoyable grooming and bathing experiences. Constructed from durable, hypoallergenic, surgical-grade material, these lightweight gloves come in five sizes with extremely soft nodules on the fingers and palms. Trust me, hands-on gloves are the best of all the ways out there to groom your horses, dogs, and cats. Put them on your gift list, too. 
Find all the sizes and all the colors at handsongloves.com. Will Friday is the CEO, Chief Equine Officer at Performance Equine Bodywork. His studies include Legacy Equine Nutrition, so he's a nutritionist, Masterson Method Equine Bodywork, and Integrated Equine Performance Bodywork. Will studied the equestrian science classes at Pierce College, and he studied philosophy and wilderness recreational management at a university. It's very interesting, his life. Well, welcome, Will Friday. I am so glad to have you not only on our place, but on our podcast, too. We've not had you on, and I am remiss, but we have been smart enough to have you at the movement last year, and that was a lot of fun. I know Dad super appreciated the work that you did, was fascinated by it. He's science geeky that way, though, too, (laughs) you know? So I'm glad to have you here. I hope you were having a good time over the weekend because you just did a clinic here. We did, and it is great to be here. And as I mentioned at the movement, um, to me, flag is up, and your dad's work is a little bit of where it all began for me. When I got back into horses after my previous career, um, I was in the Pierce College Equine Science Program, and Ron Wexler brought his class up here for a field trip, and we were standing right there at that round pen, and that's really where it all started for me about 15 years ago again. Amazing. And so it's it flag is up, feels like home to me. That's nice. Yeah. That's nice. Well, we love having you home here, yeah. too. We loved Ron and the Pierce program, and um, I hope you know that there are more programs that blossom under. It usually takes that special person, though, to make a program blossom, so we just wait for that special person to appear. That's right. And then I think they'll find the facility they need. But So talk a little bit about... A lot of us work really hard so that we can feed our horses, right? (laughs) And we're always trying to find that job. But you were actually in uh, recreation. Tell me a little bit about where you came from before you got into the horses. My previous career was in outdoor education and adventure travel. So I was a whitewater rafting guide and ski tour, backcountry ski touring and rock climbing and all those adventure sports. And I worked for private school in Los Angeles for 15 years directing their program and I really became a, um, I did a lot of work in risk management and safety for outdoor programs. And when I decided to leave there, I was, you know, finding my way. And my daughter was riding at a lovely little barn in Malibu. And the trainer knew I was in transition. And she said, have you ever thought about this? Which was equine body work. And Mm. I was like, never. And she gave me the number of someone. And I went off and got my initial training with Uh, Her name was Sue Davis, and she was based in Arizona, and she had created her own system, and gosh, that was 15 years or so ago, and I did her program, which was very interesting. It was very Reiki and energetic kind of work, and then very deep tissue work, and honestly, I kind of struggled with the deep tissue work because it was a lot of pressure on the horse, and it was a lot of pressure on me, too, Mm -hmm. and... um, then I met Jim Masterson at the Horse Expo, and yeah. the rest, as they say, is history. Well, I like the part of the story in Malibu, I think it was, where they yeah. said, wow, you picked up the that foot, and that horse doesn't let you pick up his feet. So there was a little physiology going in there, I think. I, I think, well, what I've learned in working with horses over the years is it's, it's your energy and your intention that matter. And I think if they had told me before that Prince kicked out when you tried to pick his hind feet, obviously I wouldn't have tried it. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have that 
that limitation mm-hmm. on me. Mm-hmm. And I was just grooming him and all that. And I was like, oh, well, the next thing we do is pick his feet. And it happened. Mm-hmm. And I'm not claiming I have some special power or anything mm-hmm. like that, but it just, it really started me off with having that energy and intention that mm-hmm. is relaxed and calm. And, and it, and to be fair, I think it was probably my just beginner's mind mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. wasn't thinking about the fact that this horse might kick out. I was just doing the, doing the grooming and doing the hoof picking and maybe not having that, uh, impediment in mind is what helped me. I think so. I I think a lot of people would agree with you that they um, need to calm down before they get around their horse. You talked (laughs) a little bit over the weekend uh, during the Masterson Clinic that you put on here, a packed house, by the way, 12, uh, which you limited to 12. And then we had 12 on the waiting list, which was pretty darn exciting for the horse, in my opinion. Um, But you talked a little bit about how people, um, you know, have uh, preconceived and some people don't have preconceived, but physiology is is strong in your profession as a practitioner, correct? Yes. Yeah, we um, – it's an interesting mix of, you know, understanding the anatomy and the behavior and the biomechanics and the movement of the horse. And it's just – it's a never-ending study. Mm-hmm. Um, when I completed the whole certification process with Jim Masterson and he handed me my certificate, you know, my diploma basically, he said, now the real learning begins. Mm. And he couldn't have been more correct. You know, it's with every horse you encounter in this kind of work, you learn something from them. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. And you've had a few years at this now, too. How many years now have you been certified? I'm making you do the math. Uh, It's about (laughs) nine years that I've been certified now. That's a long time. Yeah. That's a long time. But I I like that it's very – it isn't as demanding on your body as some some, um, practitioners may – you know, have to do with, I don't know, what what would you say, like the rolfing or something that's a little bit... Heavy? Well, Jim Masterson created the whole system with the, the foundation principle of it is less is more, mm-hmm. and we're going to understand and respect the horse's natural response to pressure, mm-hmm. and that if we put too much pressure on them, their natural response is to leave. Right. Sometimes quickly. They're flight animals. Yeah. And yeah, to understand the fight or flight nature. Mm-hmm. So... Jim wanted to create a system where we could help release tension and soreness in the horse's body without pressure that gets them rising up into that tensing up because that's just not relaxing. Mm -hmm. And what's been very interesting is over the years that I've known Jim, all the techniques have gotten lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter, so much so that he's got another wing of the Masterson Method, another course offered called Light to the Core. Mm -hmm. And that is all... Very gentle touch, very light work, um, acupressure, craniosacral myofascial techniques. Uh, but Jim doesn't call it acupressure, craniosacral myofascial. What does he call it? Well, <laughs> one time he calls it the Masterson method, okay. or he comes up with his own name for it. Yeah. So when I was training with Jim, he's showing us a technique that he calls accordions. And it, it's a, you move your hands in and out like you might be playing an accordion. And I said, well, isn't that a myofascial release? He says, yeah, it is, but I live in Iowa. (laughs) And he says, and you live in Topanga. (laughs) Topanga, California is a little bit of a hippie town. And Jim actually lived there. Los Angeles. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Jim lived there when he was younger. And so he teases me, go back to the hills, flower child, stuff like that. (laughs) But he said, he explained the whole nomenclature of the Masterson method in that, in that we can walk into any barn 
no matter what discipline they are and, and talk about the Masterson method without making people feel curious or uncomfortable with a term like craniosacral or myofascial or any of the other uh, modalities that are blended in here together. Mm-hmm. So it's a very accessible system yes. that he created. And yeah. a lot of times people think that it's um, maybe too accessible or too easy to do. And that's the beauty of it. It is very easy to do. It's a lot easier on me and my body than some of the work that I did previously. Mm-hmm. Um, and you always have the, you know, Jim often says, if you're at a decision-making junction and you're, you're considering, should I use more pressure or less pressure? It's always less. You know, it's really always less pressure and the horses respond to it amazingly. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I guess there's probably quite a few things that we have junctions between us and Monty's work, dad's mm-hmm. work. But one of the things about raising adrenaline, I don't think you do much at all to raise adrenaline. In fact, that's probably counterintuitive in the work you do. Is that right? Oh, yeah. To relaxing, yes. That mm-hmm. would be counter to that. And it's there's actually a, a number of the techniques that we start off with early on that help the horse release the endorphins, which are those happy hormones that make everything feel all right. Yeah. Um, so it's it, that's kind of one of our little secrets yeah. in this work is that people will say, well, this horse does this, that, and the other thing. And then when you get those endorphins starting to work, it's a different horse. And some of that comes from, you know, the, the rider's personal relationship with the horse is sometimes, like you mentioned earlier, you know, they have an agenda and they have this energy around, we're going to get this done and I'm only here for an hour. And, yeah. and meanwhile, the horse has said, well, I've been really enjoying the last 23 hours of my life, and now you're here to kind of tell me what to do. And the horses are saints, and they do it for us. And um, But that that idea of bringing it down mm-hmm. and then raising it up, the, the adrenaline or the um, intensity, mm-hmm. is all part of helping them release tension, relax. Mm-hmm. You start to see those signs of release, like the the softening of the eye and the blinking, and then maybe some... Changes in breathing, yeah. licking and chewing, sighing, snorting, sneezing, shaking their head, mm-hmm. all those signs of release. You know, it's the beauty of the Masterson method is you get direct feedback. Mm-hmm. How do you know it's working? The horse just told you. Mm-hmm. But you are such a good guide of that, too. I mean, it, it reminds me of Monty in the round pen when he'll say, watch where the, the horse's <coughs> ear goes, is where the eye goes. You know, so you give us a roadmap. And I think that's what made horsemanship accessible and this is what I think is making what your work does accessible to people too but it takes a lifetime of this stuff we all know it um I heard some of the expressions in your clinic like wait for the wait wait for the wait, wait, for the wait which was wonderful <clears throat> because you see that horse starting to relax into your body and give them your you know the foot and the leg the whole hind quarter whatever right. yeah and right. you're still standing which is great <laughs> and I agree so much with you about why Monty's work and Jim's work come together so nicely is that I think one of the qualities that Monty and Jim share is they really started out as students of animal behavior and horse behavior in particular. And they noticed, okay, that ear tipped back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Is he, is he upset with me? Is the horse upset with me? Or are they just listening? Mm-hmm. You know, they shifted their body like this and observing that and for for Jim's situation he's he observed those signs of release mm-hmm. and he said what happened a minute ago to cause that let's mm-hmm. go back and do that mm-hmm. and i and i know from watching monty work he's always paying attention to the the body language mm-hmm. of the horse yeah. 
that's how they communicate. So I think that's one of the, again, the qualities that Monty and Jim really share is they understand the nature of the horse. Mm -hmm. And what Jim has done over the years is partner with other practitioners. Uh, that's where we met yeah, at the, right. they call it the Mark and Jim show. And it was Mark Rashid, who's a author and clinician and man of jack of all trades. Yeah, this guy horseman. is unstoppable and, yeah. a, and a great horseman. And they did these clinics together to try and understand the horse and rider dynamic and the body work, how the body work influences that. And now they've also added a third party into this, which is Dr. Stephen Peters, Amazing. who really talks about how the horse's brain works. And I'm so grateful to have that experience with them because a lot of times we get a story from the horse owner about how they behave and what they do and things like that. And I learned from Mark Rashid, who learned through his years of experience and through working with Dr. Stephen Peters, is Mark has this lovely way of saying to somebody after they've told him this story, he says, well, that's a lovely story, but it really has actually very little to do with what's going on here. And it's these things we make up about the horse. And we project ourselves, we our strengths and weaknesses, our insecurities, our all that to the horse. And to really start to understand how horses work and what they really need to be comfortable and survive um, is a huge part of both Jim and Monty's work. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I know in common with Monty, you have off-the-track thoroughbreds in your lexicon as he is, you know, he put horses on the track right. and then then what happens there happens there. And then we get them back now. We have a program called the Mustang and Transition Horse Program. And our lives intersect a little bit on that as well. So you've been working with some thoroughbreds. I was really fortunate um, when I was building my career in this to have met a couple of small animal veterinarians down in the Thousand Oaks area, uh, Ken and Cheryl Fulop. And they owned a few racehorses. They were, you know, trying to go make the big time. Um, but they were doing it right. And they actually had a lot of roots here in the San Ignez area with some of the old school horsemen who said, we got to give these racehorses a solid foundation. And then we'll go to the track and we'll have their racing career. But if they have that solid foundation, they'll have a greater success in their after career. And they call their organization Thoroughbred Education Foundation. And Dr. Uh, Dr. Ken introduced me to people at Santa Anita, and I worked on horses on the backstretch. And I only worked with one trainer there, though, because he was the one that meshed with me mm. uh, and my beliefs and my and I was I learned so much working with him. Uh, he was a former jockey, now trainer. He exercise rode his horses. He was out there he every did. morning nice. with the other exercise riders, and he had a very different approach. And to this day, I I get calls from people who have adopted a, oh, nice. a old English rancho was the, the family farm. Um, I adopted an OER horse, and I'd go there, and oh, I know this guy from yeah. the track, or I know that mare. Lovely and, that they're still out there. And Welcome. their approach was allowed them. There's two horses of theirs that that I'm working with and following now. Mm. One of you was a multiple stakes winner. And uh, the other one, we called him Ready, Say, Go. And when we saw Ready, Say, Go at the for the first time of the track, I'm getting goosebumps oh, saying his name. Awesome. <laughs> he was like, look at him. He turned heads. And it wasn't too fast. He had a decent career. But now he's 10 years old. He's being retrained for something, dressage or whatever. And 
they're sound and healthy because they had this really taking care of the horse first and it wasn't all about the money and it wasn't a bunch of better living through chemistry Mm -hmm. um, back there. Mm -hmm. So I was really grateful the experience with working with um, Thoroughbred Foundation and and Kenny and the Old English Rancho and we're still good friends to this day and um, that was a huge experience, a huge, you know, part of introducing me to the Mm -hmm. thoroughbred and thoroughbred racing and you know thoroughbred racing has its challenges but i just love watching them run and they're well bred they're they're athletes they're pedigreed everything right so they should be longevity there should be longevity yeah and saying to a thoroughbred you can't run is like telling a fish you can't swim exactly it's what they're born and want to do I've taken a lot of your time, and I really appreciate it. How do people get a hold of you? I'm on the on the web, on Facebook and website and Instagram, just Performance Equine Body Work. Performance Equine Body Work, yep. Will Friday, yeah. um, under the Masterson Method website, so um, mastersonmethod.com. Mm-hmm. And um, they can find you here yes. every once in a while, too. So. I'm here about every four to six weeks at Flag Is Up to work with horses that are um, Nicole Chastain Price's clients, and then uh, now Crystal's here. Clemente, yeah, and, that's um, it. And then more as we go along. I would uh, love to know, do more. The clients I saw today were an offshoot of somebody hearing that I was here. Oh, and perfect. so that the word is getting out around here, and it's um, it's really lovely to come to Flag Is Up. And um, I really appreciate all your support for hosting the Masters and Method course this weekend. And we're going to put our heads together and find yeah. – dates for a couple more in the next year and then probably do another one of these on Would love nutrition. And another podcast. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of information we didn't get to, but I appreciate your time today. It's been a great, great to be here with you. Thanks. Thank you. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts and I'm coming to you now to talk about the Monty Roberts online university. You know, there ought to be six months in everybody's life where they just live with their animals. I've been staying home, but three months now, I've been home with this virus thing, and the things I'm learning, we're bringing you a new series. What horses see, how horses see, and about horses seeing things. The online university is bringing you the last three years of my learning process, which I promise you is the learningest years I ever spent. The Monty Roberts Online University. Uh, You won't miss a minute of it if you get started on it. I love bringing it to you, and it's my shot to take my concepts to the next generation. Mimi von Zitzewitz started riding as a four-year-old in Germany. When she was just seven, she moved to Uruguay, where she lived on a ranch with many horses. And it didn't take long until she witnessed how horses were broken in. Seeing how violently horses were treated, she swore to herself to find a better method and change the way horses were trained. So a couple of years later, she researched Monty Roberts's work, knowing that there was a lot more to learn. And in 2014, she went to Flag Is Up Farms to study at the Monty Roberts International Learning Center. And after that, she was determined to keep working and become an instructor, which she accomplished in May of 2018. Very young, our youngest instructor. Mimi has competed in show jumping and eventing and has worked with untouched horses at a ranch in Uruguay. And she's now studying veterinary medicine in Europe. 
Well, I'd like to welcome Mimi, our certified instructor from Uruguay slash Germany slash Solving a while back. But I'm really pleased to actually be able to sit down with you. We are, where are we right now, Mimi? Well, we're in the intern house at Alamo Pintado Equan um, Medical Center. And yeah, there's a couple of people coming in and yeah. <laughs> out. So. They're washing their dishes. You guys live here, right? Yes. Yeah. We... I stay here, and as an extern, I stay here. I'm 24 hours on call for the four weeks I am here. So, yeah, we don't leave much. <laughs> no, but we got to see each other at Flag is at Farms. Had a little bit of a reunion. My mom, my dad were there and uh, got to see an art show that we happened to have going. And I was really glad to see you coming down the driveway again. But you've done a lot since you've graduated and got a certification in the Monty Roberts methods and concepts. And you're full-functioning teacher now, but you're pretty focused on vet school, as I recall. Yes, that's right. I'm just in my last year of vet school. Um, going to be yeah, a vet uh, next year in Ju- June, about June. And um, yeah, after that, probably going to go into the direction of surgery and um, also a bit of horse training and uh, vet. <laughs> so um, yeah, kind of a more gentle way as a vet too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit. But first, I mean, just to give a little context of your background and where you come from, um, how did you find Monty Roberts? Well, that's actually quite interesting. So, <laughs> um, the best friend of my dad, is, well, stepdad, is uh, the godfather of uh, Andreas Jacobs. So I was. I saw how they were breaking in horses in Uruguay, and I thought that was terrible. I locked myself in the room and um, wouldn't come out. I was crying all the time because I thought, like, the horses I loved were treated that badly. Uh, this was in Uruguay, yeah. not in Germany. Yeah, yeah this is Uruguay. So. And um, then the well, he told like um, the best friend of my stepdad told my parents that about Monty Roberts and that I should started kind of following up on that so my dad actually <laughs> then uh, gave me for Christmas uh, one of Monty's books and that's how it started I, read, I started reading that doing drawing ups and just trying out whatever I read and um, then I also got the well all the other books and the online university um, and when I was 12 I started starting my own ungentled horse uh, which was difficult and <laughs> Um, it took me about two years to get on um, to with get all on. the yeah. two years. So you're now 14, yes. and wondering what this Monty Roberts does that's different, huh? But you're you're not a tiny little girl, so uh, we don't want to, you know, frighten people to think that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you you probably weren't 50 pounds at, no, at 12 or anything. Same height as now. So, what? Yeah. And you're tall. How tall are you? Uh, well, a meter seventy-three. Yeah, so, she's uh, tall. <laughs> <laughs> so it didn't look like a little girl yeah. working with horses. Okay. Um, but it worked. I mean, t- what happened after two years? Well, after two years, I got on, and uh, well, I had a little injury around there, and then um, actually, my parents asked me what I like, just actually as a joke, what I wanted to do for my fifteenth birthday, and. Well, then I said, I want to go take a course with Monty Roberts and Flag Us Up Farms. And they thought about it a little while and they were like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so it was either going to be a party or go to school. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And well, then I started with the first course. My mom knew that I was gonna like my mom on the first course. Like, oh, you're definitely gonna continue with advanced course. Like, oh no, I don't know if I'm gonna do that. <laughs> if I'm gonna be good enough. And then um, I started training a lot at home. So I would do every summer, just all summer. I was in the round pen um, as long as I could with the sun and everything. <laughs> yeah. But um, <clears throat> then when I was 16, I did the into exams and advanced course. And then 18, I did the advanced exams and yeah. did my internship. And that was 2019, but you were only 18, yeah. no, right? It was, no, it was 2018. 18, was like, at 18, was, you, yeah. yeah. In 2018, you became a certified instructor. Yeah. I believe you said that was the youngest instructor on record. Yes. 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 Good. <laughs> Not the shortest. Not the shortest. <laughs> <laughs> no, we were really proud of you and, and I know, and your parents too, for making the sacrifice because we don't um, just allow, you know, teenagers as a rule to come and take all the courses because they're not usually serious enough, frankly, and we, we didn't need a chaperone. So, so there was a sacrifice on a lot of parts too. And then how did you decide that veterinary medicine was the way to go? Well, actually, that was my childhood dream always. Uh, when I was seven, I was like, oh, I'm going to vet school and yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. And, um, but then also while working, uh, with these horses in the farm, we were very far out and we had like the nearest vet was about two to three hours away. So most of the time they didn't make it out to us and would just over the phone tell me what to do. And sometimes even that didn't work. We didn't have the best reception out there. And, um, so I was left there with all these horses that would get injured and stuff. So um, just the frustration of that um, showed me how much I liked that part of the work mm-hmm. with horses. And also I always need my brain to keep busy. So whenever I'm working with horses, I kind of just to keep calm myself and not to think too much, I have to shut that down. Mm-hmm. And that drives me crazy over the long time. <laughs> it really, like I start. Um, thinking about physics and stuff like that, just not good for me. Yeah. So <laughs> I, um, I just, yeah, I needed that part and, um, I loved every second of vet school, except maybe some, some courses. Well, there's always some. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but most of the time I really loved it and still now, like, I don't mind getting up in the middle of the night just to, um, if there's a coming colleague or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And, then I also, when I got into the clinics, saw um, how much this work I did before with all the um, horse training helped me mm. in the clinics. And Yeah, I think you did say something to me about how sometimes they'll lean on you for answers because there are a lot of vet students who have only worked with small animals. Yes, I... I um, I've kind of, with the vets that know me, <laughs> they, they really know that I have a bit of different approach and that they, uh, with a lot of horses, it works very, very well. And that, um, they, whenever they don't know what to do, they might ask me if I have an idea what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like one of my favorite examples was, um, a mare that we put a muzzle on because she was going to surgery, but she, uh, was so frightened of it. She was, uh, shaking her head and just standing in, in the corner of, um, of the box. And whenever you would come to her, she would turn around and try to kick you. Mm-hmm. So they were trying to get her like for 10, 15 minutes. And someone said, Oh, we need a whip. So I walked away and I asked the one vet that was still there, like, could I try something? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, 
if you don't get hurt, go ahead. Yeah. So I just uh, took a step towards this mirror. And then the moment she looked at me, I took a step back. Uh, I did that twice. And then I could just touch her, give her a rub in the head and t- take off the muzzle. They weren't even fast enough to get the whip. The- <laughs> you did it before they came <laughs> like, back. Yes. Nice. And then when they came back, I had the horse in my hand. It was She was really calm and nice. Oh. And I'm like, oh, that <laughs> Mimi, that yeah. Mimi is a guru. Um, so that's a, a bit of advance and retreat or pressure off, right? And how often does that, do you incorporate things like that in your veterinary practice or working with horses in general? Every day. Every day. That's, like, exactly. that's the go-to, like what I really use every single day. Um, because, and the same is just, a lot of horses, if they had an injury for a long time, they know if you're going for that place, what you're going to do. And it's going to hurt. So whenever you, if you then just take your time and go into the direction, go away again and kind of do that, they calm down a lot more. And even the sedation, if you're sedating them, will work a lot better. Um, and you don't create, because sometimes when a horse is sedated, you will... Uh, they and they get frightened, they might have a bigger reaction. That's something always you have to think about. Um, it doesn't happen often, but it can happen. So if you sedate the horse and then goes directly to that place, they could just explode, mm-hmm. even though you would think they're nicely sedated. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's something. The advanced retreat is um, something I will well, I'll use. I have it so incorporated into my whole but like yeah self that yeah <laughs> i don't i cannot do without it pretty much yeah it's a flight animal yeah. which is in their you know in their zone mm-hmm. really to watch for that pressure they do that in the herd they do it amongst themselves um i think probably i mean we t- we do talk about it almost every day too today we were talking about what's a reward for a horse over at the school and a lot of people think, oh, well, oh, yeah, we're not supposed to feed from the hand, so it must be put the treat in the bucket. No, that's <laughs> that's not the reward for the horse. The reward is basically pressure off, right? Yeah, and rest. Like, that's the natural um, um, reward for them. And you can see it so much when you ride and just get off, and the next day they know everything you did the day before. And you just know that's, like, the perfect reward for them. And yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Secession of work, I think yeah. we call it officially at the school, um, which actually puts sort of a, a line in the sand, too, where they know that they've done the correct thing if you're trying to end on a positive note. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how does it look to end on a positive note when you're having to treat a horse that's in pain? Yeah, that's always difficult. Um, mostly because also at the end of the, it might hurt more. Um, so it's difficult, but I always try to, when I'm done and I'm as a vet student, you're always hold, like a lot of times holding the horse. So what I do, even though sometimes we have to put on a twitch because whatever we are doing hurts so much that even with it, we could, if we would sedate them that much, they might fall over and it could be dangerous for everyone around. And that kind of takes the attention away from what we are doing just to keep everyone safe. Um, and then when they take it off, I always try to give them a head rub and really be kind to that horse and, um, see that everything around it is nice, even though we are doing stuff that is not nice for them. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that works quite well. And, um, 
in even like all the worst part, I think, is pretty much putting eye medications in. Mm. That one they do not like at all. Um, and, and that's one of the only uh, moments I would use treats to keep the head down <laughs> because you have no other like, um, way to keep the head down. You need attention down here to kind of yeah. put some poke there. It brings up a good point though, because we do talk about the farrier a lot, but the vet also is another professional that we need to prepare our horses for. And I know that every horse you encounter, especially in an emergency situation, probably is not trained perfectly, but, um, who, you know, whose horses are trained perfectly, but we prepare for the farrier a lot so that our farrier isn't the trainer. So we should also train, I suppose, and prepare for the vet if we can too. Is there anything as a potential soon vet that you would like us to see? Like is lowering the head something, you know, how you can teach a horse to lower its head? There's various ways that people have done that, um, kindly. But are there other, can you think of anything? Well, I guess moving the haunches, what else? Well, yeah, that they are good about their feet, just picking them up and being able to actually move them around because sometimes we have to put them on blocks, which can be a very, like, that can take a couple of minutes and, yeah. um, oh, more. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen until like, 20 minutes just putting them on blocks. Yeah. So just for them to stand somewhere else and stand still. That's kind of the most important thing. As long as the horse is able to stand still, you can do so much. And then just to be able to touch them everywhere. Mm -hmm. And some horses are afraid of needles. Mm -hmm. So um, this one is not such a nice training, as you would say, but um, just coming up with a syringe Mm -hmm. to them and then maybe pinching it a little bit on the neck. Mm -hmm helps a lot because then they're like, oh, this, I'm not going to die from it. It, It's uncomfortable, but I'm not, it's not going to be very bad. Mm -hmm. Um, so that kind of stuff. And then also oral medication, Mm -hmm. um, just put in a syringe, you could start with a carrot Mm -hmm. and just put it in, in the way you would put in a syringe. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you would maybe then use, uh, because some of them are really bad and then you could use, um, uh, uh, cooking, how do you call it? Like the, um, to stir in the cooking. Oh, um, wooden spoon. Wooden spoon, yeah. Yes, yes. Wooden spoon. And you would, uh, put that in with a bit of honey yes. and just kind of put in the, and then you could come with a syringe. Yes. And do that. And maybe put some applesauce in it and just give it to them because that's, because that, uh, is nice. Yes. Uh, and then they are a lot nicer when they come to the clinic that's and you right. have to give them something because that's excellent. I have been in the middle of the night, um, against the wall, but um, just thrown against the wall pretty much by a horse because some of them are quite strong in the head and, <laughs> and and that's not fun for anyone. And mostly because those medications you always give them any, like a lot of times, yes, yeah, middle of the night. And mm-hmm. most people don't have the patience at that hour exactly. to be squashed against the wall mm-hmm. by a horse and be nice to them. <laughs> so, I yeah. know, keeping your temper and everything too. Mm-hmm. I guess it's empathy though. We do, if we can empathize with those horses, but I also empathize with the veterinarians. And so you owners at home listening, <laughs> listen to Mimi and and uh, do prepare your horses for anything. They should be anyway for emergencies, um, for loading, I suppose, anything like that. If we have to suddenly get them to the clinic, then, you know, it's not fair if that horse hasn't been loaded or off the farm for seven years or something, right? Yeah. Are they using, like, the dually halter? Do they let you use the dually halter? 
Um, we have not used it because it's uh, also it would the owners would have to consent, to right? It because yeah. it is a training method. It is a training tool. Yeah, and we are not trainer. But then, like I have suggested to people for loading because there's a big problem. Uh, and well, in Vienna, I haven't seen it here that much, but in Vienna, we have a lot of problems with loading. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have done like just putting the lead rope over the nose and suddenly the horse walks in. <laughs> so it's like, you should buy that halter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't like, I prefer um, not for them. Well, I think what you're saying is owners, train your horses at home, <laughs> get them prepared for these as much as you possibly mm-hmm. can. Because I know like in the case of, we've had some wildfires in California, you know, we have these dry hills and we have oak trees that, catch on fire real easily. And a lot of people do get into a panic of not being able to load their horse and horses. Um, unfortunately want to stay in their stalls. They Mm -hmm. tend to want to do that instead of run away. So again, a lot of, there's not a lot of training you can do on that, but, um, except that if your horse trusts you and will come with you, and probably a dually would help yeah. too. But, um, yeah, that's kind of a specialty thing in California, mm-hmm. but, um, you probably don't have that problem in Vienna. No, we don't have one <laughs> <laughs> in Vienna, but yeah, the training of the horses is so important. I see it here a lot. Um, that in West, Western riding, you do a lot more groundwork with the horses. And these horses are so nice. They're just standing there. You can do, but most of them, not all of them, but most of them are very nice and you can actually work with them really well and just have to give them low sedation or even some of them, you don't even have to sedate. Mm. We could, with, we had some here this week. You could pass a, a nasogastric tube through the nose without any sedation. That's wonderful. Yeah. But then you get a warm blood where in the Uh-oh. English world, yeah, you do not do that much groundwork. That's something I've talked a lot with people in Vienna. Um, because, uh, and these horses then, for one, they're a lot bigger. They're a lot stronger. And they know it because they don't have, most of them don't have any limits. They just walk over you and they get very little training on the ground. So it's a nightmare for everyone. (laughs) Because if you cannot even hold the horse still, you cannot do the exam as you want to. So it's also bad for the owner because mm-hmm. in the end, uh, you will get um, worse results than you would get with a trained horse. So mm-hmm. like here is an example. We have a standing MRI here. Mm-hmm. And the horses have to stand still for a long period of time. They are sedate, heavily sedated. But still, if you have one that moves around a lot, yeah. you will not get good quality of images. Yeah. So then the vet is like, well, I guess this could be it. But I'm seeing some blurry lines on here. I have no idea what. Yeah, that's tough because you do have state-of-the-art equipment here at Alamo Potato. They have. They always seem to get the first of everything that's you know cutting edge in the world. And uh, so when you say that, like you could get really clear images in this MRI machine if the horse would just hold still. Yep. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's tough. So <laughs> the same as with X-rays, you would get. Uh, for sales, for example, if you're going to do nice x-rays, uh, at some point, if you're taking the fifth reshoot, at some point the vet said, okay, that's it. We are going to use this okay x-ray. Right. Um, and then the buyer would be, oh, I cannot, maybe I cannot see everything on this, so I might not buy it. Right. So it is actually for, also really good for the owner yeah. to have a um, horse that stands well. Yes, for the vet. good results. 
And what does dad always say is who here knows, who here has ever seen a spoiled child? And everybody's seen a spoiled child. And who here has seen a happy spoiled child? Well, the horse isn't happy if they're, if they're moving around and futzing around and everything and they've been allowed to. They're never as comfortable as the horse who's just been taught it's okay to stand still and, uh, you know, be chill for a little while. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And also they, um, that whole environment changes. So even people are going to be so much kinder to that horse um, than they will be. And then also seeing like if you have a horse that is standing very quietly, uh, most vets would be, even if they're injecting joints, they're like, oh, we will try it without the twitch. But if the horse is running around all the time, they're like, we're putting the twitch on and sedate him and make sure that everyone stays, stays safe because that's the first rule. That's right. Everyone has to stay safe. That's right. So more admonishment to train your horse as well. Well, where do you go from here, Mimi? What What's your schedule? Because tomorrow, I think, is your last day as an extern here. Um, I heard. I think I heard you hint that it would be wonderful to be an intern here sometime too. And uh, people can look on Alma Pintado um, in Los Olivos, California, to read more about this wonderful place. But it has a great history, and I'm sure it would be quite an honor to be an intern here. But I know you're headed to New Zealand, I think you said. Yeah. So after this, I'm going back to Vienna for my last semester at school. Um, and then I have two months in New Zealand. One is vacation. The other one Yay. is an externship there uh, in, a, in near Cambridge in New Zealand. And then I have six more weeks in Germany of externship, two weeks in England, and then well, a couple of weeks in, in Austria. And after that, I'm applying for internships. One is going to be here, definitely, very high on the list. Okay. <laughs> and then also, well, I already applied at Woodenville in Kentucky. Oh, Woodenville is wonderful too. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I will apply in a couple more places in the States and Canada. Um, but yeah, I want to do internship and residency in the States and then probably go back to Europe. Yeah, good. But let's see what happens. Yeah. Those warm bloods need you. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> well, it's really fun to get to see you again and, and catch up a little bit. I really appreciate you as a vet and as a good student and a, and a young one too of the Monty Roberts methods. And we want to kind of follow your story and see what we learn from you too. Well, yeah, I hope I learned uh, a lot <laughs> myself so I can kind of, yeah give that to other people and um, also do some courses for vets and techs that um, might need a bit of help and a nicer direction that they are going. And, I'm yeah. sure that, you know, you veterinarians are smart people. I'm sure there's a lot of people who are begging for that kind of background. If they're not able to work with a lot of large animals, you are a big help in that circle. And we'd love to see you maybe explore some of those courses or clinics mm-hmm. or something that could help some of those vet students too. So. Thanks for joining us on Horsemanship Radio. Thank you for having me. Some people don't think horses and people communicate. We call those people not horse people. Not horse people don't know you and your horse share a unique bond. Or that your horse knows you know they like your dogs. But not so much the barking. At Sentinel Horse Nutrition, we don't knock not horse people. We're too busy focusing on horse people's horses. With extruded nugget feeds for exceptional nutrition and formulas for every need, our wide choice of feeds makes it easy to find the fit for your horse's health. Find theirs at FeedSentinel.com. Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say a word.
It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place than mine. The magic in the language of the Dear Monty, are horse bits absolutely necessary? Is it not possible to use a dually halter to ride with? Monty's answer. It is absolutely appropriate to ride in a dually halter. Once you've tried it, you will see many reasons why it's an effective piece of equipment with which to ride, lead, and train your horse. In the world of horsemanship, there is a piece of equipment called a side pole. Many horsemen recommend it. The dually is simply a modified side pole. The two training rings provide a natural attachment for each of the reins. And while you use both reins for riding or long lining, I recommend the use of one rein while schooling from the ground. The dually halter comes with its own DVD to assist you in the process of learning how to use it. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to MontyRoberts.com and click on the words Ask Monty at the bottom of the page. Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, in October. Here we are, right on the precipice of October 16 to 28, Introductory Course of Horsemanship. Broken into modules, it's 16 through 18, Module 1, First Steps to Monty's Methods. 19 through 21 is Module 2, and that's the join-ups. And then 23 through 25 is the Module 3, and that's long lining. And then the Preparation for the exams, October 26 through 28, is the introductory course module for preparation for the intro exams. Then in November, now we're getting toward the end of the year, Jen, and it's November 3 through 5. We have our Horses in Healing. That's three days. 23F is the, the call for that one. November 11th, we have a Mountain Trail Play Day. And November 13 through 21 are advanced exams. And November 27 through December 15th is our advanced course. And then December, we're quiet. We only have on the 9th our Mountain Trail Play Day. We'll have to do something fun for that one, dress up or something. And then January 8 through 12, we have our Gentling Wild Horse course. That's five days. And then January 20, we have a Mountain Trail Play Day, our open house. And then January 27, we have a Horsemanship 101, Long-Term Planners, February 5 through 9, Monty's Special Training, all week. He gets to play with lots of you you problem horses out there, and you know who you are. <laughs> and you can find out all of that and more at MontyRoberts.com. It's your one-stop shop for everything, uh, the language of Equus, the university, the podcast, um, everything that's going on at the farm, MontyRoberts.com. You can also call the farm. It is 805-688-6288. And by the way, if you go to MontyRoberts.com, you're going to find the phone number there too. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> clever. <laughs> and for details about today's show, you can go to, as I said, MontyRoberts.com. The podcast is there. Or you can go to HorsemanshipRadio.com, and there will be photos and links about today's guests and topics. We love your feedback. And a great way to give us feedback is to hop on over to social media, things like Facebook. Yeah. You type into the search bar Monty Roberts, look for the one with the little blue check mark, follow and like it. On Twitter, the handle is Monty underscore Roberts. And on Instagram, it is the same, Monty underscore Roberts. With prettier pictures. That's right. Many thanks to our sponsors, Hands On Gloves, Monty Roberts University, and Kent Feeds. Be sure to visit all the other great shows on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. 
Com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours. Uh-huh.